read the scriptures for you on page 5. From 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 41. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David shouted in reply, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you. And cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle, not ours. The Lord will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it from his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face downward to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine giant with only a stone and a sling. And since he had no sword, he ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. David used it to kill the giant and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the Israelites gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the Israelite army turned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. The grass withers and the flower fades, and together, but the word of our God stands forever. Apologize for that awkward transfer of the mic there. Well, uh, today's sermon, as we've read, comes from 1 Samuel, 17th chapter. Um, it's the famous Bible story of David and Goliath. Many of us grew up in Sunday school reading it. If we didn't go to Sunday school, we still probably know this famous story. If you've been following this series that we've done here in 1 Samuel, um, we just to get, get you caught up, Saul, who is the first king of Israel, has been rejected by God. And God has said, I will take your kingship away and I will give it to another one after my own heart. And that person that God's chosen is David. Who is, who is the youngest son of Jesse. He is chosen and, and as, a, and as, and, excuse me, and is anointed as a replacement of Saul. Now Goliath, a giant, a titan, he comes out day after day for 40 days and he insults the people. He basically comes in the middle of the battlefield and he says, who wants to challenge me today? And, and the Bible says that was sometimes when Goliath would come forward, all these men, these, the army of men would, would even fall back further in fear of him. And David is sent by his father, Jesse, with food for his brothers who are on the front line. And it turns out, as we know the story, that this unexpected shepherd boy, will slay the giant. And for sake of their kingdom and people, he 
is sent to dismember the titan. I can't help but think about the fervor and energy you and I put into being successes, in protecting our political futures, in covering ourselves, in being safe, in being sure, in not risking ourselves emotionally, that you and I may be living in fear and running in fear of something big. Bigger than we are. Maybe it's rejection. Maybe it's meaninglessness. Maybe some dark secret. Maybe we're running in fear of the thought that there's a God up there who will crush us or hates us. This message from God's Word is for us today. And in and from this narrative, uh, the message is clear for us some 3,000 years later that we too need a champion, a savior, one who will come and dismember the titans because, as we see, like the Israelites, we are often runts before our issues, that in life, inside and outside of ourselves, we encounter giants or issues that we can't deal with. In chapter 17, if you have your Bible, some of you, I'll read it anyway, in verse 4 through 7, it says this about Goliath. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was a giant of a man measuring over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leggings and he slung a bronze javelin over his back. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. An armor-bearer walked ahead of him carrying a huge shield. Now, Goliath's description should tell us this, that he is humanly impossible to take out. Any faculties or people the Israelites have are futile against him. His armor, his stature, the weight of his defense and offense is, is every human barrier to getting rid of him. He represents an impossibility, a no, a no way, a not today. This reminds me of that Dana Carvey commercial at Capital One. It's no way, no. You're not going to take this giant out. Going against, I think when we read the story, we kind of see ourselves as David. Uh, We think that maybe just with the right luck, you can do it. No, going against him, the the men of Israel are right. They shouldn't go against him because going against him wouldn't be courageous. It would be kamikaze. You would be killed. He is not the only giant here, though, and he didn't become the giant he is by himself. For what we see is that we, like Israel, create giants or issues or titans that we can't handle. Now, Goliath represents and is the sum of human sin, of their sin, of Israel's sin. 
Actually, when we look at the, the, the progress of Israel's history, they were told from the beginning to go and take the land, to take the Philistines out, to trust God, to deliver them. But they looked more at the appearance of things. They looked more at their weakness and the strength of other things than the promise of God. Basically, Goliath has had time to grow up and be strong against them. God told them to take him and take the Philistines out long ago, but they failed to do so. They didn't believe God. Now their doubt, their lack of faith has grown out of control. He is also their desires gone and grown wrong. See, Goliath is everything, ironically, Israel wanted to be and wanted to have in a king or a champion. He is tall. Remember when they chose Saul as the king? They loved it because he was head and shoulders above the rest. He's tall and he was big enough physically to fight their battles. Remember, this was exactly what they asked for and wanted in a king. Someone who would go for them. Their greatest desire is now on the other side. Their greatest desire in rejection of, of God's God being their strength is now their worst nightmare. He also was their greatest fear. The Philistines being in control, the Philistines being in power, the Philistines keeping them at bay. Their nightmare has come from under the bed and out of the closet, and out of the horror stories and books, and now what they fear most is face to face with them. Goliath represents a a giant. Yes, he's really there, but he represents a giant that's built because of a lack of belief in what God has said, a lack of belief in God himself for his people. I remember this B-movie came out, this B-horror movie, I hope none of you have seen it. It's because it was so terrible. It's called The Stuff. I don't know if you've ever seen it. And it looks like yogurt. Yeah, you saw it because you live with me. Um, But these guys find this stuff bubbling out the ground, and and it looks real good. And so, don't ask why they did it. One of the guys reaches down and tastes it like, this stuff is great. Let's give it to people. And they didn't get it tested. You know, they didn't go through all the right things. All they knew is it tasted good, and it looked like it it, it was real healthy for you. Then at the end of the movie, the stuff just kind of took over. There was nothing else on the shelves in the grocery store, only the stuff and and eventually you know what happens it starts coming out of people and it just takes over you know this you and i have created giants out of things we thought were good at the time that we now can't handle that now control and champion us The drivenness, the fuel and push of our desires and unbelief in God and our fears now have many of us right now today. Success has become our master. Those of us, there are those of us here who are working too many hours. We have too much stuff. We, we can't stop working for all the stuff and status and honor you desired so badly. And now you're burdened with. 
Some of us have this fear of rejection that is now our master. Now you've had too many empty relationships. You've told too many lies about yourself. You've portrayed something that is not true for too long. Now you can't even find yourself or even seek out any kind of real, authentic relationship. Some of us have held anger with someone in our heart so long. It's grown into this giant. Some of us have these unconfessed sins. Or maybe you've been injured by somebody. You've held onto that thing for so long. And, or, or some of you have these besetting mistakes and issues that keep adding up. And now you look at it and there just doesn't seem to be any way of getting from under it. It's too complicated. It's too armored. It's too heavy. It's too strong. It's too tall. And and now what we do is we're just like the Israelites. We hide and we run and we live in retreat and sin depression. Some of us here have hard hearts. Apathy or anger against the gospel or anything remotely Christian. And now that anger and apathy and, and fear of, of, of the gospel or the Bible, you know, you just don't believe in that God stuff or have believed and, and refuse to give into it again. Maybe you've been disappointed by God and, and you've allowed that disappointment to grow and grow. And now you can't hear the truth of God. Now it's hard to believe it. Many of us can't even settle our hearts to receive the joy of what God has to say to the human race. Some of us have certain vices and sins that we've used, actually used to fix the pain of being too little or the pain of feeling too little. I think about how how we fall into sins of, of pornography or, or alcoholism or, or dreaming about another life. All our days are, fit, are spent fantasizing about, I want my house to look this way and, and one day we'll have this much money and one day we'll be on this beach walking down. You know, this is how sexual addictions start or, or overspending or being under debt or overextending yourself in certain areas of life. It all started as a sense of entitlement, a sense to try to free, a freedom of self-healing and helping. Now you can't feel. Now you can't live in reality. Now you're running from the fantasy that you have conjured up. And it is in this lack of movement in our lives, in, in being the wimps and runts of our lives, a life that we've created, giants that we've created, that our God sends help. That God sends someone to take out the giant. But, of course, not that easy for us. For even when God's offer of help comes... It has to overcome something else, as we see in this narrative, which is a clear resistance to God's offered power. You see, I believe we resist God's offer of help and power because it's too humbling of us. Now we have this scene here that no one is moving. Days have gone by. And this one giant comes out and says, is there anybody man enough to come out and fight me? 
Are there any soldiers over there? Does anyone have a, a sword or something? I mean, he comes out and, and every day, and it's obvious they are scared wimps. That these fighting men are all runted and stunted by Goliath, and the shepherd boy David comes to bring food to his brothers who are among the scared soldiers. And the Bible says David keeps asking what the reward is for killing Goliath. Now, there's this kind of a subtle, subtle, excuse me, subtle offer to give it a go himself. But look what happens to his inquiry here from verse 24 in chapter 17. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, that's Goliath, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men were asking. He comes out each day to challenge Israel. And have you heard about the huge reward the king has offered to anyone who kills him? The king will give him one of his daughters for a wife and his whole family will be exempted from paying taxes. David talked to some others standing there to verify the report. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and putting an end to this to his abuse of Israel? He asked them. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of Israel, the armies of the living God? And David received the same replies before. What you have been hearing is true. That is the reward for killing the giant. But when David's older brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you've supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and dishonesty. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. His offer is rejected as a, yeah, right. You're going to go fight. Why do you even want to know what's going to be done? You're not going to do anything about it. But more than that, it is a humiliation to the rest, especially those who have come to know him. His brothers, they know he's just a little weak shepherd boy. He rubs in the fact by asking the question and then adding this little bit in verse 26. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? In other words, with all of the motivation you're given, and then for the glory of God, no one has moved? Basically, you bunch of girly men, you bunch of punks, and his offer is rejected as prideful, as a just wanting to hang around and watch the fighting, not to really get in it, but to watch their shame and failure. This interaction with David, who was the one anointed king in the presence of his brothers, is like the interaction our hearts and ears can have with the advances of God on our lives and his offer to help our lives. It comes as very humiliating to our condition. And we don't want any help or motivation that is illuminating to our humiliation and weaknesses. We don't want anything that could be a spotlight for our utter fear. I used to love watching scary stuff on TV when I was younger, but I couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle it. So, I can't believe I'm telling this. One of the most shameful things in my life. I used to say, Terrence, my brother, two brothers, Terrence, Joel, one of y'all want to come sleep in the bed with me? And... 
man, when they would say, yeah, what's the problem? Because they would go to sleep. I had this mind that keeps rolling, you know, and, this, and you know, it was this story, but now that story's moved to the closet or under the bed or in the dark or it's in the woods behind the house. That would happen to the creative mind. It, it, it really is a burden sometimes. And so my brothers, they're just sleeping, you know, just relax. Hey, man, y'all want to come to bed with me? Come on. I'm the older brother, right? I'm the oldest. I'm supposed to be protecting them. And, and then so they would get in. Oh, man, I would move out the way. You know, they and then I, I would go to sleep because I'd feel comforted. But boy, please don't tell the story. I, what I feared the most, what was most humiliating, is when Terrence or Joel, my brothers, my younger brothers, go, let me tell you what happened last night. Howard was too scared, so he asked us to get into bed with him. I just humiliating yet needed and necessary in the fear some of us have heard the gospel the story of god's redemption and it starts with god's goodness in creation towards it and it goes downhill when our when our part of the story begins it was us who fell it was us humans who looked a good arrangement in eden in the face and rejected it and it is that part of the story for which we some of us are willing to reject the whole of god's help we like the second half of the gospel, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. But we don't like the first part, that apart from Christ, we are truly helpless and we're getting worse all the time without him, that we are helpless sinners separated from true righteousness. And the humiliation of the gospel has caused us to reject our help, to reject our redeemer, to reject the gospel. The thing that is the hope for us, the comfort for us. You know, it's funny, we, we, in this church, people get excited about the idea of eclectic community and, 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 and redemption of all creation, which is part of our, our vision statement and that pretty brochure in the back. And, and, you know, you read those things, you're like, man, this is really neat and cool. I want to be a part of the church where everyone's different. There's some poor, there's some rich, there's some black, there's some white. You know, there's all kind of, man, that's going to be exciting. Understand that when you're called to be in a group called the church or to go out into the, go out, 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 out as the church into the world and be a part and make a difference, it is the gospel working out. It is the gospel happening. But when you start to get around people who are different, it's not their sin that you see it's yours when god god's gospel begins to work how humiliating it is even the fun as we call it sexy stuff of hanging together and being cool together and singing these wonderful songs and telling people yeah i go to eclectic community church when it really means that when you come together you really might find out how much of a racist you really are or a supremacist or, 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 or chauvinist. And we don't like that. We want to keep the coolness of it, but we want to reject the work and person of the Savior through the hard stuff that's going to change us and bring us where we need to be over the giants of racism and, and social injustices and making a difference. I mean, those are giants that only happen through redemption, but oftentimes Jesus doesn't only come, you know, with the helping hands. He comes with a big mirror. And you see yourself for who you really are, needy of him. And that's not all to it. 
Ironically, the gospel's too humble for us. God's help is too humble for us. We, we didn't read this chapter, but in David's ordination to be king, he was the youngest, the smallest. He was the furthest from having the king look. All right? He, 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 he wasn't, apparently he wasn't that tall. It didn't seem like the Bible didn't mention it. He, he was a shepherd boy, j- just from a small town somewhere. You know, he, he just, he just didn't look like it. In fact, the Bible says that, that, that Saul, Samuel came to seek the king and Samuel had to be reminded. He ran over to the oldest. Yeah, this must be the one. And God said, no, I don't look at the outward appearance. Man does that. I look at the heart. And so it's funny because you would think that, that the father has all the boys who are making the big family decisions would be near the household. And they said, no, the one who is to be king, he's coming. You mean the one out in the field, the one that's not near the big administrative decisions, he's the one that's going to be king? God's offer of redemption comes in the form of a weak little shepherd boy, and they can't stand it. I mean, it doesn't compute. It's too weak. God's offer of power for Goliath and our issues is too humble for them. And now in Christ, it's too weak at times for us. I mean, have you taken a look at Jesus? He hung out with fishermen for the most part. He was killed. He allowed himself to be called a sinner and a fool and a demon, uh, uh, demonic uh, soothsayer. And if I rewrote the stories, I would at least make it more comic book. Would Jesus sort of had these rays that came out of his eyes and would shoot anyone who spoke against him? But, you know, now he's left us Christians, those of us who are Christians, and you've heard the Christian message if you aren't a Christian, having to talk about his coming kingdom of power, of a return in which he will make things right one day. But right now, it's about his love and, and the power of that love to take on the world about the gospel. I mean, come on. Jesus has allowed people. God has allowed people to put an image of their choosing on shirts. Jesus, my homeboy, and call it Jesus. I mean, where are the rays from the eyes right now? I mean, and then he gets people up on Sunday morning like me in the middle of a messy. As soon as we go out this door, you know, there's a messy social world in the middle of you're you guys are in the middle of your own personal crisis. And so am I. You're in the middle of a powerful human struggle in the middle of you not having a job or being sick or having a dying parent or not being able to pay your bills or rent and talk about this foolish sounding invisible but powerful God and message. Where's the beef, man? Where's the beef in the spiritual sandwich? And the scripture is saying it's right there. Yes, looking small, looking unfulfilled, and able and yet with one taste to fill the heart. In one taste of Christ, that small suffering servant comes the titan killer. The giant killer. Remember those little sponge things you would get in, in, in your cereal and you would drop them in the water? And when you get a big enough bucket, that sponge thing started out like this big and then it was like this big? 
I mean, the gospel is like those little sponge things that you get in the, used to get in, in the cereal box. And when you put it in the issues of life, when, when God's gospel drops in your heart, it just expands and is able to fulfill your issues little by little. And here is the glory of it. Your inability to see it or the apparent smallness it has in your minds does not detour Jesus from doing what is large in your life. This is the gospel that we are sinners, which means we fail to see the bigness and effectiveness of Jesus and his message. Those who look at the outward in opposition to the way God accesses things and for that sinfulness in us, In that titan of unbelief, Jesus was sent to save you from even that. Like David says in verse 32, don't worry about a thing. I'll go fight this Philistine. Jesus persists for your soul. He resists your resistance to your humiliation and the humility of the message and means of human redemption, of rescue. And Jesus actually came and he works even now that this apparently weak Jesus and Jesus' message is in a search and mission to get and feed your soul. And guess what? As weak as it sounds, he does get. And he will get you and feed you and free you. From your fears. If you tried to walk around, you know, I, I guess he's just a little kid. Saul was tall, you know, and it wasn't in style to have your pants drooping then. And so he, he just, he was like, this doesn't fit. This is going to work. I can't go in this. And so he takes him off and he goes against the giant he wants david to go in battle according to and with what he thinks will make him successful or better prepared david looks too weak he needs more he needs what makes saul and other men strong in conflict what makes goliath strong the armor but the additions are too bulky for the task it doesn't fit he shrugs off saul's agenda and additions to deal with 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 goliath and israel's enemy Like Saul, I think we try to help ourselves in helping God do for us and better for us. That you and I will actually weaken, seek to weaken the effectiveness of God in our lives by trying to strengthen him with what and how we think things should go down. It will make him a better savior if we can just dress him up. Especially in this election year like this. I am so sorry. I mean that. But the gospel is watered down. God is more powerful and deserving in his gospel agenda than any foolproof, safe, or caring politician or political theory that you can dress him with. But even in other ways, we won't accept a God as a redeemer who won't wear the added garb of our making us happy in the ways we won't want. 
We don't want a Savior who won't be accepting of all the other gods and all the other religions or any or my lifestyle or the way I think I should be prosperous or the way my relationship should be and go as a result or dressed up to only be God if he wears the now promise of utopia unless he can be this color and, and, and perfect and change this social, social inadequacy. If he can't wear those titles, he can't be my God. And some of us are angry at him. Because he won't wear it. It doesn't fit him. And his salvation of us. Let me let you know something. God is not your boy. He's not your kid to be dressed up. He's not your human okey-doke in the humility of his offering before you. He is God. He is your Savior. Jesus not come to be your or mine or anyone's political sign. He is the chosen redeemer of humankind. Chosen before you or this world existed. And for that reason, in his saving of us, in his redeeming of us, in his titan killing, he and the message of the gospel over and over, thank goodness, it shakes off and it refuses to be encumbered for your sake with the less than impressive addings that we give him. But you know why we want to do it? Because we want him to make us look better and feel better. He's dressed up to make Saul and Israel look less than scared, wearing the armor of a king. He represents what they always wanted to be, an army of strength, an army of armor, the seen strength of Israel instead of God's raw power. For him to do so would have had them still relying on armor and not God alone. Trust me, if he had beat Goliath with an armor, I want that armor right there, the same size, everybody dress up, make it big, make it big, because he wore it big. That is the way we're going to win. You see how hearts are? Hearts are so messed up. God has to say, no, I'm not going that way. I'm going to confound you. I'm going to totally blow your mind in the way you think things should go so that you can be redeemed by the real thing. Oh, how we so want Jesus in response to the humiliation and the mess and mistakes that we have become. How we want God to come. To have Jesus simply make us look better than we are. So some of us wear Jesus as a cross on our necks. Or as a name drop in our conversation. Or like the stars do at the award shows. Here is where Christians and pseudo-Christians are in the same boat. We'll do what it takes to look smarter. And faster and better. And honestly, Jesus is a great way to do that. But doesn't call us automatically back to the fact that God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. God doesn't want you to look better. He's come to make and declare you better. He doesn't want to adopt an agenda, regardless of good it seems, that will fool you and others into adopting something that can't save them. That's how good God is for the sake of you he won't make you look better the way you feel you should in christ and his message and power to save he will not be encumbered by you or anyone else's agenda his effectiveness will not and has not been hindered so don't categorize him as republican god or the white god or god of the well put together or, 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 the, or the God only of poor people, someone has simply dressed him up. 
If you can't see Christ today, because all you see is the Christian right wing, or all you see is, is just a bunch of social activists carrying his name around. I mean, I am sorry. But understand this. When given honor to him rightly, his word undresses your Savior. He is free from anything that can seek to predicate him. Free from being Presbyterian only or Baptist only or the means people's God only to save you. To be your God. And so David, a type of Christ, a less than but clear foreshadowing of Christ. David is, of course, a type of Jesus. We look at him and we see Jesus in the story. What will Jesus do? And he slays Goliath. And in doing so, he doesn't leave you and me behind, humiliated. Look what God's agenda accomplishes. You might be surprised. Look, David, at verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David shot a reply, you come with me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will give, kill you and cut off your head and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue his people. It is not his battle. It, it is his battle, not ours. The Lord will give you to us. The glory and victory that is declared for God is not to humiliate you. But in a redeeming, but to bring a redeeming end, to actually restore us to the dignity and rights as given human beings that look to Him. In our fear of being humiliated by God, look what happens. Goliath tries to demean David, and then David declares that God's work will happen on behalf of His people. And then we look at verse 47. God is going to give you to us. Goliath will be given to them. To God's people, the glory of God is a spoil for people who are trapped and helpless and need a savior. That God takes what is humiliating to us and lifts our heads and hearts to no longer be scared and punked by even what we have created but failed to stand up to. The Lord is calling us to a new liberty and confidence as ones who have been given the head of their enemy. Look what he says. I come against you in the name of the Lord and the Israel's of army whom you have defied. And what God is saying is those who have been defied by sin or oppression or evil, I have come to lift them up. That weren't enough. Jesus overcome and defeated the seen and unseen enemies of humankind, bread and sin and hatred towards people. And God has actually made those who look to him as Savior better. Yes, he really does change us. We don't have to look better. When Christ does it, your heart changes and your life changes. You're freer than you could ever imagine or could imagine. That God is not some sort of killjoy and an enemy to our freedom. He is our freedom. Hey, look at what happens when David kills Goliath. What happens? The people jump up from their places of bondage and trappings and they said they chased their enemies in, in, in a more bloody scene. They, they killed everybody and the bodies were from here to there. I'm sorry that, that, that sometimes it can be kind of bloody. 
But God has not taken redemptive control and calling for sovereign love and offering Himself in Christ as Savior to take from you, to stop you from life's spoils, but to give the spoils as freely offered by Him. This sounds familiar. before our enemies. He is power for us. And for our sake, for our relationship with God, he's come to truly dismember the Titans. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We couldn't stop you. You saved us anyway. We couldn't deter you. You did it anyway. And for that, Lord, you have given us eternity. For those who know you and love you, you have given us eternity to praise you for your wonderful work. Lord, I pray right now that you would help our eyes and our hearts to see an undressed Savior, a Savior that is not cloaked and encumbered by by human agenda. Or human politics. Or human, you have to have this and look like this and be like this, Lord. But help us, truly help our hearts to see a suffering servant that truly has come out of love for us. Help our hearts today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.